The Falcons are officially Rooney Rule compliant. Does it mean a head coaching hire is imminent? And we'll connect some dots today on their interest in Mike Vrabel and if they're going to be able to get Jim Harbaugh on a plane from L.A. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back, everyone, to another illustrious episode of the Locked on Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of Locked on Sports Atlanta, your team every day. And today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL and use code in all lowercase locked on NFL for a first deposit match up to one hundred dollars so guys if you don't know me i'm your very humble host aaron freeman been covering the falcons for far too long formerly at falcfans.com rip still going strong on this illustrious podcast been podcasting for well over a decade and i know some of you guys hear that and you say how aaron this is as good a podcast as, as it comes after you know 12 years of podcasting well you know some of us grow and develop slowly uh, just like, you know, Falcons draft picks. But uh, guys, um, appreciate each and every one of you that are everydayers here and make this illustrious podcast your first listen or watch of the day. And if you want to become an everydayer, all you got to do is subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts so you continue to see my slow and steady improvement as a podcaster. And so I'm sure some of you guys watching on YouTube uh, are sitting here weirded out by the fact that I'm not wearing my glasses today. I had my... Um, eyes dilated at the doctor's office you know we're at seven hours and counting and they still haven't undilated so if you see me squinting on today's episode it's me trying to see my notes but it's a little bit easier for me to see without my glasses uh this far from the screen but today's episode uh you will see me squinting through my positional breakdowns as we continue that talking about the tight end position talking about kyle pitts's injury this past year his usage will they pick up his fifth year option We'll talk about what's next for this Falcons team and whether or not a new regime is not going to be as high on Kyle Pitts as the former regime was and may move in a different direction at the tight end position. Of course, the Parker Hesse agenda will be part of the conversation as well, but we got to start with an, another update on the Falcons head coaching search. They did conduct two in-person interviews uh, over the past 24 hours with Raheem Morris the Rams defensive coordinator, Ajiro Evero, the Panthers defensive coordinator. Both of those were in person. Of course, both of those guys are minority candidates external from the Falcons organization. And that means now that the Falcons are officially Rooney rule compliant, which means that they can proceed with their next head coaching her, whoever that may be. So, you know, if that's Bill Belichick, when that will happen, you know, no time like the present. In, in terms of that regard, but we do know that the Falcons at least have scheduled four interviews next week with four coaches that are currently uh, or their teams are currently active in the conference championship game. So those interviews cannot occur until Monday of next week at the earliest. And that includes Lions uh, offensive coordinator, and defensive coordinator, Ben Johnson and Aaron Glenn, respectively Ravens D-line coach Anthony Weaver and Ravens defensive coordinator Mike McDonald. We'll see if the Falcons are willing to wait that long. Uh, it's notable that also on Wednesday, I'm sure it'll be officially announced by the time you guys are watching this. It hasn't been as I'm recording this, that the Falcons are meeting with Mike Rabel for the first time. And I haven't necessarily ever really considered Mike Rabel to be a serious contender for the Falcons head coach. The fact that it's taken this long to talk to him. 
But, you know, I've been sort of thinking, and I'm sure I may not be the first person to, to sort of connect these dots, but, um, you know, I didn't get this from anybody else. So I, I'm connecting these dots on my own, but I'm, I'm sure someone else has also done it. Is basically what I'm saying. Um, you know, it's been reported that Vrabel is meeting with Arthur Blank one-on-one. Um, or, you know, he's meeting with Arthur Blank in Arthur Blank's home. We haven't, we don't know if Terry Fontenot and Rich McCare are also there. And that's notable to me because Bill Belichick initially met with Arthur Blank one-on-one before meeting with Terry Fontenot and, and, and uh, Rich McKay uh, later this week. But when we first heard of the news that the Falcons were interested in meeting with Mike Rabel, it was after that initial meeting with Bill Belichick and right around the time where the news broke that the Falcons were meeting a second time with Bill Belichick. And so for me, the dots I'm kind of connecting on that is not that Mike Rabel is a serious contender to be the Falcons' next head coach, but maybe he could be the Falcons head coach after their next head coach. If that head coach is Bill Belichick, that Bill Belichick is basically saying, yes, all the talk of me only sticking around for two or three more years is true, but I'm going to groom Mike Vrabel to be my heir apparent. Um, and that's why Blank is meeting with him to kind of vet that process. And if Blank is willing to proceed on that front, right, in terms of seemingly, if you listen to yesterday's episode, the reports are saying that, you know, some people in the building, namely Rich McKay, we don't know where Terry Fontenot stands on this, uh, but some people are not necessarily thrilled with the idea of Bill Belichick uh, being the Falcons head coach, which is mostly Rich McKay pushing that narrative, while Blank is seemingly all in on that. And so that will be kind of a unilateral decision if the Falcons go in the Bill Belichick direction. So that's going to be something interesting to keep an eye on, on over the next couple of days, because, again, if the Falcons do want to make Bill Belichick their next head coach, they can basically start that process today. Uh, or tomorrow or whenever you guys are listening to this, or they could just sort of sit around and say, like, we're still going to be thorough. We still want to have those second interviews with those other coaches next week. And we can always circle back to Bill Belichick because it doesn't seem like anybody else is interested in Bill Belichick. So he'll be there if if we decide to, you know, wait until after next week and whatnot. So we'll see how that all goes. Uh, we have a, another second interview later this week with Bobby Slowick, uh, the Texans offensive coordinator, various insiders like, James Palmer and Steve Weish of NFL Network have reported that the Falcons were, quote unquote, very impressed with Slowick on when he interviewed, I believe, last Saturday. Um, you know, although for me and again, that's notable. I, I don't want to dismiss that and, and think that doesn't mean anything. But for me, at least until I heard those reports from those various people and we know Steve Weish, you know, knows a thing or two about the Atlanta Falcons. And so when we hear things about the Falcons from Steve Weish, we tend to take that with uh, you know, put a lot of stock into that. But until that sort of came out, um, I sort of just assumed like, oh, the Falcons are talking to Bobby Slowick because initially they were wanted to meet with Brian Callahan for a second meeting. He never left Tennessee um, and he got the job there. And then after uh, putting in their you know request for Ben Johnson and Brian Callahan, then you hear the news that they're setting up a second meeting with Bobby Slowick. And that could be purely coincidental, just like, you know, the paperwork got lost or whatever, delayed or whatever, or the leak or whoever, um, you know, didn't get that out at, at the same time. So not a whole lot to too much to read into it, but it's just one of those things where I, I do wonder a little bit if people, again, going back to stuff that we talked about last week, where people just base their opinion off the most recent tweet that they saw. And so they the most recent tweet is the Falcons are very impressed with Bobby Slowick. And so, oh, that means Bobby Slowick's going to be the guy. And again, I, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it all plays out. But um, speaking of, of, you know, Brian Callahan not being let off the plane, 
or le- not allowed to get on the plane. Let's talk about another person who seemingly, and again, I'm recording this, you know, around five o'clock on Wednesday. Um, and so we'll see what is developing. But, you know, Jim Harbaugh was supposed to meet with the Falcons on Thursday as well, alongside Bobby Slowick. And at least as of I'm recording this, that meeting is you know, TB determined to be TBD to be determined. Right. And maybe potentially push back because Jim Harbaugh by many reports is actively in LA negotiating to be the chargers next head coach. And basically the chargers, you know, are they going to let him get on that plane? Right. So we'll see about that. You know, maybe as you guys are watching this on Wednesday night or listening to this on Thursday morning, there has been an update on that front, but I've never really personally considered Jim Harbaugh to be a serious contender here in Atlanta, not because I didn't think he would be a great pickup for the Falcons. I've explained before why, you know, the ways that I think people look at Bill Belichick as this sort of program builder and this culture builder. I think Jim Harbaugh more fits that identity, so to speak, than than Bill Belichick does. Um, but I've always sort of assumed that all the reports saying that, you know, Jim Harbaugh, the, you know, he was the apple of the Chargers eye. And basically like his interest in Atlanta, which has been reported that, you know, he likes what he sees in Atlanta has mostly been a leverage play to try to get more in, you know, from a salary standpoint, from a plower and control standpoint, all those various things with the chargers and basically saying, well, you know, I can always just get on this plane and, and, and fly out to Atlanta, you know, if you don't, you know, up your offer or whatever the case may be. So that's how I've always seen it. So I've never really considered Harbaugh to be a serious contender here in Atlanta for that reason. But again, that may age particularly poorly because you guys, by the time you're listening to this or watching this, have have gotten a different update. And he is on that plane. So we'll see how that goes uh, on the coaching front. Still a lot of things. Any any day now, it could be breaking news that the Falcons are hiring their next head coach. Could that be Jim Harbaugh? Sure. Could that be Bobby Slowick? Sure. Could that be Bill Belichick? Sure. Could it be Raheem Morris? Sure. You know, am I reading into it that the first two people that the Falcons interview had second interviews with were Bill Belichick and Raheem Morris? And various reports seem to say that if it's not Bill Belichick, Raheem Morris is, you know, the, the plan B for the Atlanta Falcons. I could read into that. I don't know. You Do you want to connect those dots? I don't know. Maybe that's just a pure coincidence. Raheem Morris had a, uh, you know, could take an earlier flight, uh, you know, that sort of thing. So who knows how that's going to go, but I certainly think we'll have a little bit more clarity about the direction of this coaching search in the next 24 to 48 hours. That basically, if we don't start hearing word that the Falcons are actively negotiating a contract with their next head coach, Bill Belichick or whoever, um, that means that they're going to wait. And that means that, you know, maybe they really are interested in a Ben Johnson or an Anthony Weaver or a Mike McDonald or an Aaron Glenn to be their next head coach. So we'll see how that develops guys. We'll continue today's locked on Falcons talking about the tight end position. We'll talk about, you know, the impact of Kyle Pitts's knee injury on why his season didn't quite live up to expectations. Um, and we'll talk about, you know, the Parker Hesse agenda and, and John Lou Smith and their fits as well. All of that's in store for you on today's locked on Falcons. Now, guys, passion, drive, patience. It's what brings home that winning trophy. And it also is what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to that peak performance that'll get your ride or die over the hump that the Falcons so fair so rarely uh achieve. And you know, if you're looking for that supercharger, a roof rack exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into the speed, power, or style, 
eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash, baby. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into an MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. eBay guarantee fit only available to U.S. customers. So continuing today's episode, want to plug the Locked On Sports Today 24-7 streaming channel here on YouTube. The first of its kind, giving you all the updates on the biggest stories across all the sports. And if you're looking for the updates on the biggest stories for your local sports teams, check out Locked On Sports Atlantis 24-7 streaming YouTube channel. It's all part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So let's talk about Kyle Pitts' 2023 season, and we can't talk about it without acknowledging probably the thing that impacted it the most. And no, that's not Arthur Smith's play calling. That's probably the knee injury. And we had the initial reports last year when he suffered that injury against the Chicago Bears in like week 12, week 11, whatever it was, um, that it was an MCL tear. And then we find out after this season that it was more than that, right? Kyle Pitts himself posted on uh, Instagram that he also uh, was dealing with a PCL. And he didn't say tear, but we can, let's assume that it was a tear in the PCL. And when it comes to knee ligaments, the MCL is the relatively minor one that usually takes like a month or so to heal. But the PCL, the ACL, and the LCL are the bad ligaments, basically what we'll say uh, to tear. If you see those uh, initials, that's a problem, right? And that explains why Kyle Pitts' injury that seemed like it should have been solved by the time we got the OTAs was still you know, bothering him throughout training camp and lingered into the season. Now, I noted on this podcast that around midseason going into their bye week, I thought we saw Kyle Pitts looking a little bit more explosive against Minnesota, against Arizona. And so it was like, okay, he's working him his way back. You know, Maybe he's 90, 95% or something like that at that point in time. I think thereafter, um, you know, it still looked like it was closer to what it was at the beginning of the season where maybe it was closer to 80% or something like that. So we didn't get that growth, uh, that linear growth that, you know, uh, it, it did seem like at the midpoint of the season we were, we were inching towards, but um, you know, that led to a lot of conversation throughout the season about Kyle Pitts, usage, his, his production or, or lack thereof in those two areas. But obviously the knee injury sort of muddles and, and muddies sort of how we can, accurately assess those things right that you know one of the things i've noted in during around the midpoint of the season was that i thought you know much is made of kyle pitts's production because he had that historic rookie season but i think you know outside of a handful of games that he had three monster games really in that rookie season where he got a lot of his production that year like i think it was like 40 percent of the yards he had that season came in like you know 20 percent of his games basically um you know, you know, you look outside of that, his per game production was this season was similar to his per game production that year, right? Like again, outside those three monster games that he had against the Dolphins, Jets, and, and, and Lions, you know, he was averaging about three and a half catches and 49 yards a game. This year, especially if you were to take out the slow start he had in the first four weeks, where again the production questions were a, a valid concern there, you know, thereafter for the remaining 13 games of the season. He averaged about 3.2 catches and 42 yards per game. And I think the difference between those things, again, maybe you could easily attribute to the fact that he wasn't fully healthy uh, this year compared to then. 
And what's interesting to me about those three monster games that he had in his rookie season against, especially against the, the Dolphins and Jets, is like those teams really wanted to man him up in that game. And he really took advantage of those matchups, right? Creating those mismatches. Part of that's due to him being healthier. Part of that, I think, is due to the quarterback play, or at least having a quarterback like Matt Ryan that was more capable of exploiting those mismatches then. And you haven't really had that the last two seasons, injuries withstanding. And then you couple that with the injury, you're not getting the mismatches when teams decide to man up Kyle Pitts today, like you were getting his rookie season, due in part to that injury. So, I absolutely think that, you know, Arthur Smith could have done a better job utilizing Kyle Pitts over the last three years. I think that's, you know, there's no doubt about that, especially in the red zone and whatnot. And certainly there are ways for him to create and manufacture targets for Kyle Pitts much more easily. Uh, that would have certainly made the fantasy football community happy, especially those of them that are, you know, doing their PPR rankings. But I think overall, a lot of the concerns about Kyle Pitts's usage and lack of production has less to do with the play calling and more to do kind of with the circumstances surrounding Kyle Pitts, um, which is related to that injury, which is related to that quarterback play. And so I'm not as convinced as other people are that, you know, any new coach, any new play caller is just going to magically snap his fingers and fix the problem. Right. But we'll circle back to that a little bit later in the episode. No, let's talk about some of the other Titans of the Falcons had John o. Smith was their sort of yak King this year and sort of embodied what we've talked about with the Smith offense, which is, you know, get the ball in the hands of your playmaker and let them go make plays. And John Smith was kind of the guy that consistently was able to do that. You didn't quite see that with Kyle Pitts and Drake London. And I don't think that again, isn't um, because of Smith's play calling. I think a lot of that is just, you know, and I noticed when we watched the college tape of those guys and we were breaking them down after we drafted them, that Pitts and London specifically are not guys that are great after the catch. They're fine, but they're not necessarily guys that, okay, oh, you can just get them the ball and let them go to work in the ways that a John o. Smith was, a Cordero Patterson was, uh, a B. John Robinson. And, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that some of those guys, quote unquote, blossomed under Arthur Smith, given what we're talking about. Um, so while a lot of people complained about you know, John was getting the ball too much. I never did because that's just kind of how the Arthur Smith offense has always worked right now. Much was made at certain points in the season about John o. Smith getting the ball too much. Again, I think a lot of that is people overreacting the two plays, you know, that jet sweep against Minnesota, that sort of pass to Michael Pruitt in the red zone against the Titans the following week. And I look at those two plays and, you know, I just look at it as the Falcons simply didn't execute on those plays. You missed the block against the Vikings. You missed the throw against the Titans. And those aren't plays that I, I lose sleep over. I'm not going to lose sleep over two plays over the course of, a you know, 11, almost 1100 plays over the course of a season. But that's just how I roll. But speaking of missing blocks, you know, uh, that gets us to the Parker Hesse agenda. Right. And we talked all throughout the season. Uh, one of the reasons why the Falcons offense was not as effective this year uh, was because their perimeter blocking wasn't as effective and that matters when you run an outside zone scheme and you know to me it wasn't to say that Parker Hesse was the sole cause of that but it was let's say symptomatic it was emblematic of their struggles that you had a player in Parker Hesse that was so good in that arena the previous year which was a contributing factor to why the Falcons run game was so effective last year and then when you basically he he's not in the games for 13 or 14 out of your 17 games this year to me it's not a shock that like you know, your, your, your run blocking is, is limited this year. And, you know, you, you can take these numbers with a grain of salt, but I'm, I'm using them to illustrate a point, but like, you know, let's say you're, when it comes to outside zone, 
you know, a lot of it, 30% is tight end, 30% is offensive tackle play, 30% is interior, 10% is other, right? Um, and maybe that, those percentages would be different for other teams, but that number, especially the tight end number, is so high because of how often the Falcons use two or more tight ends on the football field that roughly a half of their snaps uh, feature that. Um, and you saw big steps back for the tight ends in uh, offensive tackles this year in terms of blocking, in part due to not having Parker Hesse out there consistently and the replacements in Michael Pruitt, John Fitzpatrick, et cetera, were not as effective in that role. And your tackles in Caleb McGarry and Jake Matthews were not as effective blocking on the perimeter as they were the previous year. And basically what I'm saying is there's a reason why your run blocking took a step back because essentially I'm arguing 60% of your, the, the things that matter, you know, were not as effective this year. Uh, as they were a year ago. Now, I know a lot of people push back against that narrative because they see the PFF grades. They see the rankings that suggest that the Falcons run blocking was, you know, top of the league this year. And we might get into this more on tomorrow's episode if we break down the offensive line. But, you know, in the Lockdown Falcons Discord, link in the description below, you know, a couple of us were talking about this and we kind of figured that the PFF's grading system is kind of biased a little bit to overvalue zone blocking a little bit but again we we may circle back to that tomorrow and so that's why i would i wouldn't put too much stock in their grades that suggested the falcons run blocking was elite this year or anything like that i think you know your eyes kind of tell you that it wasn't quite to that level um or certainly was not as consistent as it needed to be um and the last little tidbit i want to touch upon with the parker hesse agenda is you know it was a little baffling to me why Hesse wasn't in the lineup and, and why the Falcons insisted on Michael Pruitt and John Fitzpatrick and, and Tucker Fisk. I, I typically am not the guy that's like complaining about why is player X getting more snaps than player Y, right? I, I'm not in that building. I tend to give the coaches the benefit of the doubt that they are in that building. They're, they have justifications for that reason. And most of the times I think they do, right? For example, like when people complain about Bud Dupree getting more snaps than Arnold Abichetti, it's like they're justified in that because Bud Dupree is a better run defender. And when you play as much light boxes as the Falcons play on defense, that matters, right? And Arnold Abichetti isn't so much better a pass rusher that to sort of, you know, make that worthwhile. But sort of seeing Pruitt and Fitzpatrick and, and Tucker Fisk get, get all the snaps that Parker Hesse was getting last year just was a little baffling to me. And I know for a large chunk of the season, Hesse wasn't healthy. But, you know, even after at the end of the season when Keith Smith got hurt and you needed a new fullback and the Falcons were like, oh, we're going to make Tucker Fisk the new fullback for three games. And it's like Parker Hesse's right there. And you go back to the second half of that Jets game. He was outstanding as a fullback uh, in the second half of that game. And that was a big reason why the, the Falcons run game was a little bit more effective in the second half of that game. It was just a little baffling to me, but, you know, we might circle back to this conversation when we talk about some of the questionable choices uh, when it came to the cornerback rotation in the final month of the season as well. So those were just some things like, again, I rarely get into those sort of things, but it was just to me, it was like, this is weird. Like, why are the Falcons doing this? But we'll leave the Parker Hesse agenda aside. We'll uh, continue the conversation talking about the future of the tight end position. Um, we probably won't be talking about Parker Hesse. We'll talk about Kyle Pitts. Do the Falcons pick up their fifth-year option? Is a new coaching staff going to value a tight end with Kyle Pitts' skill set as much as the old coaching staff? We'll break it all down as we wrap up today's Locked on Falcons. So the NFL season is wrapped and the playoffs are ongoing, but there's still time to get in on all the action over at FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $100. 
$50 in bonus bets, win or lose. And if you want to bet on this weekend's action, of course, you got some great lines over at FanDuel with the Ravens three and a half point favorites, the 49ers seven point favorites. I feel like I'm going to take the Ravens in this one. I'm probably going to take the Lions to cover on this one. But however you feel, go on and use your $5 bet, win or lose, over at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to make your first bet a layup. FanDuel is an official partner of the NFL. So wrapping up today's Locked On Falcons, let's talk about the future of the tight end position. And there could be a lot of moving parts this offseason at this position. This is one of those positions, as we've discussed, could see a, a major overhaul in the coming offseason and in the coming years. Right, John o. Smith is a potential cap cut. You know, the Falcons could save about six and a half million dollars by cutting him. Michael Pruitt's a free agent. You know, he's probably not going to be back. Both of those guys, I think you would call Arthur Smith guys. And so probably under a new coaching staff, they'll probably go in a different direction. Obviously, Kyle Pitts' future is a big one. The fifth year option looms this offseason. They have until May to extend that one uh, over the cap projects that to be about ten and a half million dollars. That's fully guaranteed in the 2025 season. So not this year, but the year after, you know, I know Mike Rothstein, Rothstein of ESPN has talked about the possibility of Kyle Pitts, you know, trying to be more of a wide receiver and the fifth year option for a wide receiver would be about $19.4 million. So almost, you know, $9 million more uh, for Pitts. You know, Jimmy Graham kind of made this play about a decade ago with the franchise tag for the tight end versus a wide receiver didn't win sort of his arbitration there. So I'm not expecting Kyle Pitts to be able to get that, but you know, that's potentially something um, that we'll keep an eye on as this off season uh, undergoes. Now I assume the Falcon, well, I don't know if the Falcons picking up the option is a safe assumption, right? Because it really depends on who the Falcons hire as their next coach slash play caller, right? Um, because, you know, if it's Josh McDaniels under Bill Belichick, Josh McDaniels historically wants a wide tight end, that true traditional inline tight end. That's where he's had everywhere he's gone. He's pushed for that every single where he's gone. You look at Darren Waller in Las Vegas, they, they dropped him after a year. They went out there and got, you know, Austin Hooper, OJ Howard, Michael Mayer, and Darren Waller and Kyle Pitts' skill set is nearly identical, right? Ben Johnson had TJ Hawkinson and Sam Laporta in Detroit. So just two examples. And so, you know, it does seem like it's likely that the Falcons, you know, if you look at Bobby Slowick and his time in San Francisco with George Kittle, right? All those various things. So I don't know if the, you know, the idea that the new coach is going to come in and just like be able to fix Kyle Pitts, you know, I don't know about that. So, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of speculation this offseason that the Falcons may be shopping Kyle Pitts. Um, you know, how will the injury potentially affect this market? So I could see a scenario where the Falcons pick up the fifth year option, hope that Kyle Pitts has a bounce back rebound season, say all the right things about, you know, we we believe in Kyle, all that sort of thing. You have his rights in 2025. So if he doesn't necessarily have the bounce back season, you can trade him. Or if he does have the bounce back season, now that increases his trade value potentially next year. And that will be an option to you available then. So that's really the only way that you can get out of paying that fifth year option. But, you know, ten and a half million dollars is not necessarily an egregious amount of money to, to trade for to another team, especially if that new team is planning on giving Kyle Pitts an extension or whatever the case may be. So that is going to be something to keep an eye on. So we'll see what happens this offseason. Right. You know, if the Falcons go out there and get in and spend a decent amount of money in free agency to replace guys like John Smith and Michael Pruitt uh, to, you know, number two tight end, um, you know, that may tip their hand that, you know, they're not as sold on pits being the future. If they were to use one of the early round picks again, I wouldn't expect that to come in round one. Um, you know, I don't think Brock Bowers is on their radar anymore now that Arthur Smith is gone. But, um, 
you know, it, round three, round four or something that I think that certainly would tip their hand that they may be looking to move in a different direction. So we'll see on that front. Um, but I sit here today, you know, if I'm making a bold prediction, like it does seem like we're moving in the direction that Kyle Pitts is going to be a one contract player here in Atlanta. And I would probably make the bet that the starting tight end for the Atlanta Falcons on in week one of the 2025 season. So not this year, but the next year is probably not currently on the roster if I was making a bet today. But again, it's still, you know, a lot of sort of things to unpack when it comes to the head coach and, and all those various things and where Pitts fits into that person's vision uh, for this. But I think, if again, if you just thought, oh, we'll get rid of Arthur Smith and all of a sudden Kyle Pitts is going to blossom into the superstar, you know, I don't know if that's quite the reality. So we'll see how that goes. Um, that will be certainly a topic of conversation all offseason long, um, certainly much more so than it has been in the past. I know a lot of people have speculated about that, you know, but I, I think as long as Arthur Smith was here, like that wasn't going to be a real topic of conversation uh, for that regime, but it certainly probably will be a topic of conversation at least will get brought up from time to time uh, legitimately by a new regime. So we'll see how that changes. But again, I think there's potential that there's going to be massive overhaul at this position, regardless of who the Falcons land on at the coach. And certainly some of the guys that they are looking at seem to be the types of guys that will be like, yeah, you know, Kyle Pitts is a very talented individual, but he doesn't necessarily fit the style of offense that we're looking to play here in Atlanta. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, tomorrow we'll potentially get into the offensive line and we'll revisit the concerns in the regression of the blocking that led to some of the struggles on offense this year. Uh, and we'll also give you any updates on any uh, head coaching. You know, did, did Jim Harbaugh get on that plane? You know, what's going on with this Vrabel stuff? Do we get more information on that? It's, it's slow. It's still uh, sort of, uh, you know, a hot name or, or whatever the case may be. So uh, that will be what's in store for you on tomorrow's episode. Make sure you continue to make us your first listen. Check out the Locked On NFL, Locked On Sports Today, Locked On Sports Atlanta, YouTube streaming channels as your second listen. It's all part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.